turn to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to look at the story of the Gadarene demoniac and how his life was changed after an encounter with Jesus. As you're turning there, I want to remind you or inform you of a couple things. Um, first of all, everyone say May 21st. And if I'm wrong on this, somebody shout me, shout me down. But May 21st, we're not going to be here. The church is going to shut down on May 21st, and we're going downtown Elizabeth City on the water, and we're going to have worship right by the water on the waterfront during Potato Fest, okay? We had the opportunity to do this last year, and we've been invited back one more time. Our good friends in our church, uh, Jeff and Michelle Clark, 21st is right, right? And the time is 10 a.m. Okay, so they're part of the organizers for the Potato Festival each year. And so we're going to go down there, and we're going to have worship, and we're going to have Sunday morning service down there at 10 o'clock. So all, all of you come, bring somebody. And uh, we did it last year, and it was one of the neatest things we've ever done here. And we were just blessed to have the opportunity. And I remember walk uh, parking and then walking down to Water Street and uh, just hearing, uh, first of all, the streets were shut down because of Potato Fest. And then number two, I just heard worship music going. And Elizabeth City was saturated with worship music. And I thought, oh, wow, what a great environment, you know. So everybody say May 21st, <laughs> we're going to be at the waterfront. So if you show up here, door's going to be locked come outside with us and it's a great opportunity too to bring to bring people who don't go to church or you know it's just a it's just a great thing praise the lord uh, also um june two and three we're hosting a conference here that's on a friday night and saturday and it's a conference for redemption ministries and as many of you know our church is part of a larger body and uh, we have a, a conference of churches. Conferencing comes out of the old Methodist term, Wesley's term for conference, which it means an event you go to and a body you're part of. So we're having our conference event here uh, on June 2 and 3. And I really want to encourage everybody to come out, especially Friday night. It's just going to be a worship service. Uh, I am the bishop of the conference right now, so I'm going to be leading the, the worship service and the the conference the next day, but I, I really encourage all of you guys on Friday night, just, we're just going to be worshiping, um, we're going to be preaching, and it's just going to be a good event. Amen? Amen? Okay, if you have your Bibles, open to Mark chapter 5. I'm talking about the power of a changed life. The power of a changed life. Dana and I just got back from Brother Ted Shuttlesworth's camp meeting uh, this past week up in West Virginia, and we had a fantastic time with Brother Ted and uh, what's going on in the nation. Got to hear a lot of what's going on in the nation. Just absolutely wonderful. This morning, I'm doing something different. I'm reading from the ESV. Normally, I preach from New King James, but I love literal translations. New American Standard, ESV, New King James. Um, also, I'm reading. This is just free for y'all, okay? During my devotional time, I'm reading the New Living Translation, which is a real free translation. And, and man, is it nice. And it's, it's fun. And it's, if, if you're stagnant in your Bible reading, you know, maybe try a freer translation. Always have a literal translation you study from, but have a freer translation that helps you, you know, maybe it smooths out the interpretive edges 
on the scripture. But anyhow, reading from the ESV this morning, uh, Mark chapter 5. Let's read this whole passage. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. I want you to notice it's singular, an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But when he wrenched the train, chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, no one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. It's interesting. This man is crying out and calling on the name of God. Interesting. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? What is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now we've gone from singular to plural. We've gone from one to many. The same thing happens, just hold, hang on there. Same thing happens over in Mark chapter 1, too, when Jesus does his first miracle, when he walks into the synagogue and there's an, an unclean spirit crying out of a man in the synagogue. If you'll notice Mark chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? So there the one becomes a plurality again. And I know people who've worked in deliverance ministry, they always say when you're casting out a demon, there's always many. Because there's always a kingdom of spirits associated with it. Just FYI. Everybody's awake this morning. Say amen. amen. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Verse 9, my name is Legion, for we are many. Legion, uh, you know, Roman legion, a legion. The term legion, you know, comes from the Latin, and it means a, uh, an, a, a, a portion of an army that was maybe 10,000 strong. And uh, it would have struck fear in the hearts of the people of that, that, that day because they had realized that a Roman legion was a very disciplined, organized, killing machine. And when they came, they came for destruction and for domination. So that the spirits use the term legion is interesting. It's not a formal name. It's a descriptive name. We are many, maybe 10,000 plus. And he begged him, verse 10, earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs and let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down to the steep bank, into the sea, and drowned in the sea. Now why, I, you know, this is a mysterious thing, and even the scholars I've been reading you know, no one knows why Jesus did that. The best explanation I've ever heard was maybe it was an example. Maybe he did it as an example to show us the destructive power of demonic spirits. And when they were cast into the swine or pigs, they were, they were bound for destruction, and it caused all of them 
to run into the water and be drowned. Also, Jesus is in a Gentile area here. And, of course, pigs were unclean to the Jews, and the Jews were to have nothing to do with them. And so, you know, I think there's that Jewish-Gentile thing happening here as well, that the pigs were unclean, and they are the ones that Jesus sends the spirits into. Then the next verse, verse 14, The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had been, or those who had seen it, described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They're so shaken and freaked out about this, they're scared, and they beg Jesus to leave. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region as he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. So the other herdsmen, the Gentiles in, in the area of the Gerasenes, were begging Jesus to leave, and here's the demon-possessed man, completely whole, begging him to join him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. A couple things here, just a couple notes. First of all, um, in other instances of healing or deliverance, Jesus told the people to be quiet and don't say anything about it. But here he tells the man, go, tell it. Tell what's happened to you. What's the difference? Well, here he's in a Gentile area. When he was in the Jewish areas, he often uh, would not allow people to tell that because of the danger, I think, or because he was among the Jews and he didn't reveal himself it took a while for him to reveal himself to the Jews. Also, the Decapolis is uh, a, 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 were, were 10 cities stretched throughout that area, and this man went all over the Decapolis in those 10 cities testifying. I went to a city years ago and toured the uh, ancient ruins of Jerash. It's in uh, modern-day Jordan, and it was this fabulous Roman-era city that you, you can tour to this day. And it was one of the cities in the Decapolis. So you have to think that they went as far in as, as modern-day Jordan and around, declaring the news. How many knows when God does something, he does it well? How many knows when God does something, he does it well? He doesn't do things halfway, half-cocked, thrown together, duct-taped, that's us. When God does things, he does it well. He does them well. And he, he certainly he did it with this man. So thus far, we've looked at two stories in the New Testament. We looked at the story of Zacchaeus and how Zacchaeus' life was changed by an encounter with Jesus. And he became a man who was generous and he was repaying those that he had cheated. Then we looked at the life of the Philippian jailer who probably was a very hardened man, cruel, and when he encountered Jesus through the preaching of Paul and Silas, he was converted and became kind, washed their wounds, became an advocate to the authorities for Paul and Silas. And today we're looking at maybe the most dramatic of these stories, 
And that is the man we call the Gadarene demoniac, a man who was dramatically changed, again, by an encounter with Jesus. God does all things well. I want us to look at three aspects of this man's life and drill down into how God does things well. First of all, this man was living among the tombs, the Bible says. He was living among the dead. He was living among the tombs. And the, the word tomb here in Greek is, just means a memorial, a, um, a, 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 like a tombstone that remembers the past. But let me, let me read you the uh, dictionary from the Greek lexicon. This is any visible object for preserving or recalling the memory of any person or thing. So it's a memorial or a monument. So literally, he was living among the dead. And it's just eerie, it's creepy, it's spooky, and it fits the whole story. Right? It just fits the whole story. It's eerie, it's creepy, the narrative is in a, in a graveyard. But I'm going to push this a little bit. I, I, when I was reading it, you know what left off the, leapt off the page to me was, he was living in the memories of the past because that's what memorials are. They're memories of the past. And I know I'm going to push the hermeneutic here, but, but it's for our good. Let's just, let's just explore this. How many of us, you know, may not be demon-possessed living among the tombs, cutting ourselves, but we're still living among the tombs in our heart? We're still living in the past, and we can't get out of it, and we're bound by the memories of the past. We're bound by the things that happened in the past. And, you know, I think the Bible's way of looking at the past is we're to honor the past. And we are to set up memorials. We are to set up festivals. What's Exodus all about? Exodus was a festival that God told the children of Israel, you're going to do this forever. forever. This will be a perpetual festival because forever you're going to remember what I have done for you. You're going to tell it to your kids, to your grandkids, to your great They're going to carry it on for generations because the past is very important and we should remember it. However... We shouldn't live in it. We should remember it, celebrate it, but not live in it. Because if you live in the past, you're looking in the rearview mirror. And, you know, maybe this is cheesy, but hey, in your car, your rearview mirror is only about this big. But your windshield... is the width of the car, and that's, there's a purpose in that, because if you're driving, you need to be looking forward, not looking backward. My youngest daughter, Alex, when we were teaching her to ride a bicycle, we lived in a cul-de-sac back in the, those days, and uh, I remember she, Alex loved and still loves to talk. If y'all been around her, she's never short for words. So anyhow, she would ride her bike, and she'd be like, hey, check it out. And she'd just be talking. We're like, turn around. Look forward. Don't look at us. Because when you're trying to ride a bicycle, talking to all your friends like this, it's kind of difficult. And if you're trying to live life in reverse, you're not going to get anywhere. If you're trying to live life just, just mired up in the past, you can't get anywhere. And you say, well, Pastor Hans, that's not me. Yeah, but how many of us have stopped going forward because of some past memory that happened to us in church that was bad? 
And because of that, we've been hands off. Or how many of us won't go forward because of a relationship issue we had, so we're afraid to get in a life group? Some of y'all hear life group, and it's the scariest thing ever because you think, I'm going to have to go sit in a circle and look at people and talk to them. And then some of you are like the I personality in the disc test. You're like, life group. That's a bad dance. But anyhow, you know what I'm saying. Then others of you are more introverted, and you're like, So, you know, but don't let the past dictate your future. Or some of you live in the failures of your past. Because you failed at something, you said, well, I'll never try it again. Or I'll just, I'll just decide I'll live kind of a, a mediocre life because I tried something great once and it didn't work out. Well, get that out of your life. God doesn't want you living among the tombs. Or sometimes people live, and this is, I think, one of the most dangerous ways to deal with the past. Some of us live in the successes of the past and can never just honor it and and thank God for what it was and get on to the future because we're always talking about what happened in 1984 or what happened in 97. It was amazing. Well, you're living in 2023, and God has great things for you this year. God has great things for you in your windshield, in your front view, out front, in the horizon in front of you. We celebrate the past, but we move toward the future. Can somebody shout amen? This man was completely living among the tombs. And it's interesting. The Bible says he was unhelpable. No one could help him. They tried to restrain him. He couldn't be restrained. He was howling. In the tombs. Talk about creepy. Living among the tombs, crying out and howling among the tombs. I don't know, uh, I don't know where this was situated. I've been in that area. I think I've been on the Sea of Galilee on that side, and, and we went to a certain area that they thought would have been the home of the Gerasenes. But anyhow, if you knew a madman was living among the tombs, crying out every night, I don't know about you, but I would have found a different way home. I would have been walking way around the graveyard and finding my way home another way because it gets creepy enough. I don't want a madman crying and yelling and howling in the tombs. Werewolves of London. I'm having all kinds of images come to my mind right now. Okay. So he was unhelpful. He was living among the dead completely unhelpable, and then he was self-destructing. The Bible says he was, NASB says, gashing himself, because the Greek term actually is more gashing than cutting. It's a downward force and a blunt, blunt force just gashing himself with stones, cutting himself, and he was completely self-destructing, naked, could not ever try to try to chain him, he would break them apart. So let me let me say a few things about the demonic here before we get into his radical change that happened. First of all, there is a real devil, and he has real forces under him. Their one job is to kill you. Okay. About 30% got that. So I'm gonna. There is a real devil. He has real malevolent forces under him, and his job is to kill you. 
I don't know why it shook out this way, but we're in a warfare. We were born on a battlefield. And we're in the, the warfare. I, you know, the, the Raina's testimony today, she said, you know, I just saw it as this cosmic battle between God and the devil, and why are we caught in between it? That was a profound statement she had, and a question as someone who hadn't even really been born again asking that question. It was philosophical and profound. Why were we born into this warfare? I don't know, but we were. We were born, there's all kinds of theories about it, but we were born on, on a battlefield, and it's a fight for our lives. And I've been, you know, God's been really been reworking my thinking over this over the past couple of years. And let me just try to, let me just try to smooth it out. Y'all just listen to me and as we work this thing out, okay? So we're born on a battlefield. Satan is here to steal, kill, and destroy, and to wreak havoc. And he especially wants to do that among the people God has created in his image. We are created in the image of God. No matter what you look like physically, no matter what background you come from, no matter what ethnicity you are, no matter what you've been through in life, you're created in the image of God. The Bible says in the book of Genesis, we were created in his image and in his likeness. Now, in ancient theology and medieval theology, the theologians split those two, whether that's legit or not. I don't know. It's interesting to think about. And they said even after the fall of Adam, we retained the, the, the image of God, but we lost his likeness. So Jesus came to restore the likeness in us of God to look like him again and act like him again. But whatever, we're all spiritual beings. We were all born onto a battlefield, and Satan hates it when he sees you walking down the street. Why? Because you are like God in that regard. So he's coming to efface and to destroy the image of God in the earth realm. That's why if Satan has his way with you, he will efface you, he will destroy you little by little, and destruct your life. Now, what's interesting is, you know, Jonathan Kahn, I, maybe many of y'all remember the book Harbinger and all that. He's a messianic rabbi. And uh, I don't know, you know, all about his writings. I did read The Harbinger back in the day, but his newest book is called The Return of the Gods. And so I thought, I want to hear what the guy's got to say because he was preaching for a friend of mine. And so he came and he, he preached, and I thought, well, okay, that's okay. But the more I've thought about it, the more it's intrigued me. He has a book out now called Return of the Gods. And what his thesis is, is that the earth, that, that when Satan offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world, he gave him a legitimate offer because he was ruling the kingdoms of the world. Because Adam forfeited, basically, the rights to rule on the earth realm. And so ruling the world were principalities and powers underneath Satan. But his thesis is, when Christianity came, Jesus and the apostles and the missionary force of the gospel... When missionaries went forward into areas of the world and preached the gospel, salvation came, light and revelation came, and many of these ancient ruling little g gods were pulled down. Because Satan, uh, Jesus gave them a death blow at the resurrection. 
and he stripped them of their authority according to Colossians 2.15. But it's like if I'm understanding it, and I'm just talking out loud here, so I'm just thinking, thinking out loud. I know I'm talking out loud. <laughs> I'm thinking out loud. You think, thank God. But um, this is my thinking, and if I'm wrong, y'all let me know. You know, we're, we're learning here. But if sin abounds in a certain region and wickedness abounds in a certain region, the wickedness of that area enthrones the demonic principalities. That's why us praying and shouting against principalities is really futile. What the apostles do is they went in and preached and did ground-level warfare and went in and started casting out demons and seeing people saved, and then a heaven opens, and then the principalities no longer have the authority to be seated. I'm thinking out loud. Well, what Jonathan Kahn is saying is that the ancient gods are returning to the westernized Christian world because of the wickedness of men. One he mentioned, he's got this, whole, this unholy trinity of gods, and one he mentioned was Baal or Baal, and how it was the figure of a bull. And really its motivation is, is you know, and he relates Wall Street and the lust of money and greed to it. And then he also had in his unholy trinity a spirit named Ishtar, which is, you've maybe read about Ishtar, which was an, a, a, a goddess that ruled, and in her festivals, men dressed up like women and women dressed up like men, and she had the power to change the sexes of her followers. And Jonathan was talking about how she has been rethroned, basically, by the sin and the corrupt thinking of humankind. I know this is out there, but it's 10 o'clock in the morning. And this is the early service. Where are we going to go by 11 o'clock? I don't know. There are real malevolent forces in this earth realm. And there's a strata and a, a, like an army of lieutenants and generals and captains and all that in this force of Satan. You know, I've often, there, there are demonic forces in Elizabeth City. There are demonic forces in Elizabeth City. There are people being abused in this city. There are people whose lives are wrecked in this city. There are people who are captive by sin in this city. There are people who've perverted in their thinking in this city. There's drug abuse. There's alcohol abuse. There's, there's abuse of women. There's abuse of children. All that's in this city, and it's not of God. It's of, of Satan. And that's why when I wake up in the morning, I thank God, let me preach the gospel. Let me proclaim the love of Jesus. Let me pull down some strongholds by revival that we open the doors for. And what's scary about this whole demonic thing is once people start thinking in, in crooked and perverse ways, then and if they, it, per, it persists and it continues, it gets to the point to where their conscience becomes seared. And then when you speak truth to them, they get angry or furious because they no longer can handle truth because they've been seared in their conscience. I just had dinner the other night, two nights ago, with a couple from Canada who are pastors. This guy was, the police force came to his home, got him out, 
took him to jail. And he was put in jail and booked because he was having church. And uh, they wanted to control so much, you know, the ability, because they were, sing they were singing is one of the issues. They were singing, you know, and it's, it's after COVID, but it's nonetheless during this COVID craziness that they were singing in church and trying to have church, and he went outside and did all kind of stuff. Anyhow, they arrested him, and he said, there's such a push to muzzle the voice of preachers in Canada, and we are only one step behind that. So it's made me so determined to speak truth and to de declare the gospel and to preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the truth, because I can't, I can't, I, no. Wow, I'm preaching differently this morning. Wishy-washiness never set anyone free. Walking in the gray never set anyone free. Jesus didn't come with an either or maybe okay gospel. He came with the hard exclusive terms. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You Pharisees are hypocrites and brood of vipers and whitewashed fences. Uh, Paul called out the religious hypocrites in his day. He said, you argue over, you argue over, you know, circumcision. I wish you all were castrated. I've never said that. Hallelujah. Come on. They didn't play around. The apostles didn't come, and it wasn't an easy grace. Believe what you want to. Androgynous. Be whoever you think you are one day. Gospel. It was a hardcore judgment is coming. The king is coming. There's going to be a recompense for every work done. Every word's going to be held in judgment one day. You better get your house in order because judgment is coming. Somebody shout hallelujah. So I'm going to take the next few moments here and expose some things about Satan that's going to help you because he's coming after you. Number one, Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's not om omnipresent. He isn't everywhere. He isn't omnipotent. He doesn't have all power. And he's not eternal because he was created in time by God. He's a created being just like you and I. God is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, and eternal. Satan is not. And what's interesting is when he comes to Jesus and tempts him in Matthew chapter 4, or when he comes and asks for the permission to abuse Job in Job chapters 1 and 2, he miscalculates the future. Why? Because he doesn't know the future. He knows the word and the prophecies of the future, but he doesn't know your future. Only God holds your future. He came and he said, let me tempt Job, and he'll deny you to your face. God said, yeah, go ahead. Make my day. You think you know Job? No, I know Job. I know him. He comes to Jesus. Command these stones to be made bread. Cast yourself down from the temple. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you the kings of this earth. Jesus said, no, no, no. It is written, it is written, it is written. He miscalculated because he doesn't know the individual destiny of human beings. Now some say he can see the calling on your life, which I really believe. 
And he knows the, the level of anointing you walk in, the angelic presence around your life, and maybe he attacks more because of that. I don't know. But he doesn't know the future. However, he does know, and all of his forces know, they will be judged at a given time. Because these demons cry out of this man, and they said, What have we to do with you? Have you come to judge us before our time? So they know they're going to face the judgment seat of God. And God has given them, for whatever reason, a span of time to run, and then they're going to be eliminated from planet Earth. Can somebody shout amen? Second thing I want you to know about Satan, he exercises his dominion by way of a hierarchical, geographical, and militaristic strategy. He comes, and he has a hierarchy. He has little g gods that he wants to enthrone over principalities and, and places, and he wants to do his destruction through a very organized army. Number three, Satan can manipulate matter he can manipulate weather patterns and bacterial life. Why am I saying that? Because he infects Job with a skin disease in the book of Job. He creates storms. He created the whirlwind and the different storms that came and took out Job's family. And he has power in the earth realm to do these things. You know, here's what, here's what really I'm seeing less and less as I go deeper in the Lord, I'm seeing less and less a need to blame God for everything. Because if you don't understand warfare, you chalk everything up to God. Well, this was God's will. Somebody died in a car crash. Must have been God's will. Baloney. Cancer took somebody out. Must have been God's will. Baloney. I walked that road. Number four, Satan can influence and sway legal proceedings and government structures. In Revelation 2.10, Jesus states that Satan's in the process of influencing Smyrna's legal proceedings by throwing a collection of Christians into prison. In Job 1.17, he manipulates the Chaldeans, encouraging them to steal Job's livestock. Number five, Satan aggressively seeks to trap individual Christians. Don't fall into the trap of Satan, Paul tells Timothy. Give no place for him in your life. John tells us, number six, that Satan is more skilled at deception than any other created being. Jesus said not only is he a liar, he's the father of lies. So all, all lies have their locus in Satan himself. Also, Satan is able to kill people. Why? Because he comes to God and he asks for the permission to kill Job. And God backs him off and says, no, you can take it so far, but you can't kill him. Jesus said, and I know he's talking about the false shepherds of Israel, but I think it's applicable to Satan. He says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've got two good words for you, and all these bad. Number one, he's going to be thrown into hell one day. He's going to be thrown into hell one day. Okay, y'all almost got it. 
He's going to be thrown into hell one day. Somebody shout amen. Come on, somebody shout. Well, shout amen. amen. I know I'm taking my time, but. Revelation 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authorities of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. The accuser of the brethren accuses us day and night before the throne of God. So we don't need to be his helpers and accuse people day and night. We don't need to be his helpers. He's going to be cast down and thrown into the lake of fire, and he's going to be eliminated, along with death and along with hell. Hallelujah. I can't wait till death's eliminated. It wasn't supposed to be part of humanity. I can't wait till that stuff's thrown into the lake of fire. So he's going to be thrown, so he knows his future. He knows his future. Second thing is, he is resistible. He is resistible. Well, the devil made me do it. Sometimes that's a true statement, I think. Satan's really speaking to people. But you know what? He doesn't have to make you do it. He only makes you do it if you give space in your life to his lies and buy into it and obey what you hear him saying. He is resistible. James 4, 7, resist the devil. First of all, it says, submit, therefore, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So let's, let's reverse it and pull it back to the story of the gathering demoniac. What is happening here? Here's what I see happening in a microcosm. This is Jesus coming to earth, stepping onto the battlefield between the demonic forces and the forces of God, coming into a fallen world, and it's even magnified by him stepping off onto the land of the Gentiles. And he steps off into the land of the Gentiles and he casts out demons with a word. And now this man is there fully whole. Why? Because the Son of God, the Bible says, was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. He came down onto this battlefield to wreak havoc of the kingdom of hell. He came, in Reinhard Bonnke's term, to plunder hell and populate heaven. He came to stamp out the power and authority and pull down the strongholds of Satan on planet earth. He came to reverse the curse. He came to eliminate death and eliminate the curse of sin. He came to redeem and rescue mankind. He came to make lives whole again like God initially intended. Come on, somebody give him a shout. Hallelujah. So now you have this gathering demoniac. He was possessed, but after encountering Jesus, Jesus set him free. 
He was living among the dead, but now he's sitting among the living wanting to follow Jesus. He was cutting himself in the tombs. Now he's completely made whole. He was crying out. Now he's sitting at Jesus' feet in a docile state. He was naked, and now he's clothed. He was a man wandering, and now he has purpose. He was a, 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 a plague to society, and now he's a fire up evangelists going to the Decapolis region of the Gentiles. That's the power of a changed life. Can somebody shout amen? Because when God comes, he doesn't do things halfway. He comes and sets you completely and totally free. Can somebody shout amen? So I could just bash a lot here. I could get into cutting because it's demonic. I could get into effacing the body because it's demonic. I could get into the transgender issue because it is demonic. And I could call these things out, but I'm going to end on this note. I'm going to end on a positive note. Jesus can set you free from every bit of it. He forgives all. He can set you free from every bit of it. You, haunting voices at night, oppression in your life, uh, suicidal thoughts that we've heard several different times today. Come on, God comes and he sets you free of all of it. He pulls down the God's little G out of your life and, and casts them out and replaces them with his power and his authority. Can somebody shout amen? Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, God's in this house moving this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Satan knows, I believe, I believe he knows, he knows you have a destiny in God. Though he doesn't know your future, he knows if God's hands on you. You know, I heard a story of a missionary who went to Haiti years ago, and, and they walked up to a certain witch doctor, and the witch doctor said, I can't deal with you because I see the name of God written on your forehead. They could, we were here several years ago, and there's a lady manifesting demons at the altar. Some of our prayer workers took her out to the, to the room where we meet for prayer, and somebody said, go get the pastor, and she screamed out, no, don't get him. He has the spirit of revival on him. And she really didn't know me. Very interesting how Satan knows the calling, I think, and the anointing, or you can see it somehow in the spirit realm. So let me tell you, it's time that you take your position in the kingdom. It's time you take your position as a warrior in the kingdom and say, I declare my neighborhood's going to be a holy neighborhood. We're going to love people to Jesus. We're going to declare the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. And you know what? What Satan's plan is, is to totally neuter the church to totally come and zap it of its authority. So he starts with, well, the Word of God really isn't real. It's just man-made words. And, you know, as one uh, well-known minister said recently, if you're, if you're hedging your bets on the Bible, then you're, uh, you're, you're, you're building yourself on sinking sand. Oh, well, the Bible really didn't say that. I had a man come to me years ago in my church in D.C., and he was struggling with his identity. And I said, I said, dude, struggle, fight it. We're here for you. Overcome it. You have the victory. Call me. So we talked and we talked and it went on and months went on and months went on. And then one day he called me and he said, you know, pastor, can I ask you a question? Does the Bible really mean that? Is that really what it means? 
the lifestyle I'm struggling with, is it really against it? And I, when I heard that, I thought, oh my God, he's gone. And he was gone. And I never saw him again after that, and, and, and I read about him in the news. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I've been all over the map here this morning, but I'm making a plea to you. Truth is your way. Jesus is the way. He can set, he can forgive, he sets free. All these testimonies, these young guys, man, isn't it awesome? Next week you're going to hear a phenomenal testimony of another young guy in our church. Just, he comes and he, he changes your life totally, completely, 100%, and he does all things well. Taken a totally possessed man, possibly having over 10,000 demonic spirits, Jesus cast them out with a word. The man's there completely whole. There's even one uh, papyrus scroll that, in studying Mark 5, there's a papyrus scroll, and it uses a term that says he clothed him. Now, I don't know, we don't get that from our translations, but, you know, if the papyrus has any validity to it, you know, Jesus clothed him. I like to think he did. I like to think he did. He set him free and said, bring some clothes, guys. Bring my stuff. Bring my change of clothes and let's put it on this man. He's a different human being now. Mike Henley's not Disco Mike anymore. He might still be, but disco for Jesus. Different man. Different man. How many of you can raise your hand and say, I'm a different person since I encountered Jesus? I'm a different person. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for your, the truth of your word that you come to set people free. An encounter with you sets us completely free. And we give you praise for it right now, Lord. Father, I pray for those who are not right with you in this congregation this morning, but you've been knocking. You've been knocking on their heart. They're feeling a pull. They're feeling a tug. And God, I thank you for setting them free today in the name of Jesus. The word of the Lord sets you free, my friend. The word of the Lord sets you free. His, his truth makes you free. And I give you praise, God, right now. I bind every demonic spirit in this building this morning. I bind every demonic spirit hindering the truth from, from getting to the person. You have no authority in this room. You have no authority among these people. And God, I just thank you for, for letting your truth resonate in the hearts of everyone in this place. Jesus, you are the one who sets free. And I give you praise for it right now. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast. And I hope these sermons have been a great blessing and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, He is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin, and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need 
to get through it, Lord. Give miracle signs and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us.